a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. By the way, lines are open at 801-331-8113 if you would like to join the conversation. We've got a lot to talk about today. I didn't realize this. I mean, hey, I've celebrated Thanksgiving many times. I can't tell you how many times I've traced my hand to make a turkey and then colored it in with crayon. Okay, maybe I did that four or five times in grade school. I I lose count. I didn't realize that uh, it was today. It was November 11th, 1620, that the Mayflower dropped anchor there at Plymouth Rock. Now, land was sighted. Cape Cod was sighted two days earlier on November 9th of 1620, but they dropped anchor November 11th. And in between the time that they sighted land and dropped anchor, apparently that's when they produced a document to establish what historian Rebecca Fraser describes as the first experiment in consensual government in Western history between individuals with one another and not with a monarch. Now, of course, I'm talking about the Mayflower Compact. You've heard of that, too. And uh, this, this is an article from uh, the Foundation for Economic Education. It's uh, Larry Reed saying that the quadrennial of the Mayflower Compact should be noted and appreciated by freedom lovers everywhere. So I'm going to share this on the, on the Brian Hyde Show Facebook page. Um, it may or may not make it into the show notes, but I thought that was really cool. And by the way, yes, I understand it's also Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. But uh, that is a date that I have no idea how I missed this. And I like it, too. And then the title of the the article here says the Mayflower Compact as an idea. America began in 1620, not 1776. And of course, there's some terrific stories about the uh, compact that they swore, the the um, communal type of living that they tried for the first year or so and uh, the the ruin that collectivism brought to that uh, burgeoning society. It wasn't until the following year when uh, Mayor Bradford realized that, uh, you know, people were no longer working to try to to plant crops or to, to make things work because they'd collectivized everything. No one had incentive to produce because the person who produced the least got exactly as much as the person who produced the most. And so it, it kind of robbed them of incentive. And so they, he gave the the settlers their own land, which they could work and plant and, and harvest. They could see the fruits of their labors. And from that point on, they had plenty. They prospered. I know for some people, they're thinking, well, that's just a fairy tale of, uh, of capitalism. I don't know. All I know is uh, when people actually could enjoy the fruits of their labors, they tried harder. They were more innovative. So there must be something to it. If only we could remember that today. All right, couple other quick notes. Uh, actually, I want to dive right into this one. This is uh, this is an essay a friend emailed to me earlier today, and it was published on the Ron Paul Liberty Report. An article by Chris Rossini. 
Over and over, nature creates uniqueness, yet politicians and experts want to rule over carbon copies. And it begins with a quote from Ron Paul. There's only one kind of freedom, and that's individual liberty. Our lives come from our creator, and our liberty comes from our creator. It has nothing to do with government granting it. Now, I love that sentiment. And he takes it further. Chris Rossini takes it further with with a question here that uh, springs from a tweet that was sent out this morning. The tweet says there's two types of people out there. Number one, those that want to be left alone. And number two, others that refuse to leave other people alone. Which one are you? And that statement, says Chris Rossini, encapsulates the seemingly never-ending struggle between liberty and tyranny. And it also places the responsibility precisely where it belongs, which is on each individual. Are you the one who wants to be left alone, or are you the one that refuses to leave other people alone? Each of us has to decide for ourselves. Okay, it's a good jumping off point. Let's jump on the telephone for a moment here. 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Yes, Brian. Fathers was on the Mayflower. He was an indentured servant. His name is George Sewell. And I don't know what he was in charge of planting, but let's say Grandpa George was in charge of planting parsnips, and let's say he hated parsnips. But he knew that's what he was going to have to eat for dinner every night. You would naturally just drag your feet, and you wouldn't be as interested. So you're absolutely right. Motivation, being able to choose what you want, is the key to prosperity. Well, and I think being able to to have stewardship. I know um, I've read a number of different accounts. I think Richard Marbury's account of why the, the pilgrims failed that first year and why so many of them starved came down to... Um, the, the least productive among them was going to get exactly the same amount to eat as the, the person who was putting in the hardest work. It wasn't worth it to break your back knowing that uh, whatever you created was just going to be taken from you and given to somebody who maybe wasn't even putting any effort in. I, can, yeah. I mean, I can see the reasoning behind that. Yeah. Yeah. People like different things. So let them have them. Not complicated, but apparently it is. <laughs> well, for, for some, it is. Hey, by the way, I thought of you when I saw this article from Chris Rossini about uh, those who want to be left alone and those who will not leave others alone. Saw your, no. vi- saw your video at Walmart yesterday and uh, the Gesundheit Führer who just could not leave you alone. Yeah, I walked, I walked away three times. You, you, you missed of it, but I finally turned my phone on. But I walked past this status three times and he kept hollering. So finally, I I asked him, you know, you start, you can't have a conversation with the intellectually challenged. And this guy's been indoctrinated since he was a young man, I would guess. And just, to, and then it just got kind of weird. And but no, it's scary. Those are the guys, especially when they do that for a living as a policeman or something. They will absolutely put you on a box car. We got video, Wendy Latham had an incident last night in Alpine, and that video will be out here shortly. I, saw, I saw that, act, too. I saw that one, too. This cop did not refuse to ever forcefully vaccinate anyone. They will do it. They will do it. Because we've let them get this far, they're going to go all the way. Scary thought. Jared, yeah. thanks, thanks so much for the call. I want to come back here to Chris Rossini's uh, 
essay. Which one are you? Are you the person who wants to be left alone? Are you the person who cannot leave other people alone? And that's a choice every one of us gets to make. Chris Rossini says, should you decide to, or should you choose rather, to live a life centered around voluntary and peaceful interactions with others? Or will you live a life that's centered around aggressive force against your neighbors? The argument for why a voluntary and peaceful life is far superior cannot be more logical, rational, and compelling. And from here, he breaks it down. First of all, let's consider the physical aspects of our beings, the form, the matter, the scene. We are each exquisitely unique in our physical selves. There are no carbon copies. We have individual boundaries, and each of us occupy our own individual space in the universe. Wherever we happen to be at the moment, and it's exclusively for us, where you are, no other human being can be, and vice versa. Now, this physical setup appears to be custom made for individuality and a world of individuals. It's not made for some amorphous blob. Now let's consider the limitless. That would be our mental and spiritual selves, the non-form, the unseen. Once again, he says, we are each exquisitely unique here as well. This is where we are the masters of our domain. And he asks, what do you think from one second, or what you think rather from one second to the next is all you, what you choose to focus on, what you choose to attract into your life, what you want, what you believe it's all yours and yours alone. When an event happens in the world, you interpret it and explain it to yourself. Your explanation to yourself may cause you to cry, but the same event can mean the exact opposite to your neighbor. He may explain it to himself in a way that makes him jump for joy. A third person can witness the event and not care one way or the other. It's the same event. Others can attempt to explain what events mean to you, but it's up to you to decide whether to believe them or not. And listen to this. He says you can't place the blame on the many modern-day professors or the media or the politicians constantly lying to you. Why did you believe them? You didn't have to believe them. The responsibility is yours alone on who to believe. Because we are individuals, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward case that he's making here. We're going to revisit uh, the rest of this essay, just the other side of these commercial messages. And ask, why is it then that people want to take these individuals and turn them into basically carbon copies, some amorphous blob? We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for joining me today on the show. I know there are so many voices out there, so many programs, so many podcasts, fun ways to pass the time. It, it means the world to me that you would make the time to just drop by and see, hey, is Hyde talking about anything worthwhile today? I really hope I am. Right now, I'm sharing with you an article from Chris Rossini. This was published on the Ron Paul Liberty Report, and it has to do with how over and over nature creates uniqueness, and yet politicians and experts want to rule over carbon copies. And Chris Rossini makes a very powerful case for how we are individuals, first and foremost, spiritually, mentally, physically, we are individuals. And then says, considering this, wouldn't it be strange to try to turn this world of individuals into some kind of amorphous blob? 
Wouldn't it be odd to attempt to force one to be like another, to try to force one to think like another or act like another? Over and over, nature creates uniqueness and you want to create carbon copies. You're going to try to overturn nature. Well, fortunately, such an idea is impossible. It's very deadly, as history keeps showing us, but impossible nonetheless. There would obviously be no longer be a humanity if it were possible. It's a foolish goal to attempt to try to force something to be something that it's not. Yet this anti-human goal occupies the minds of many individuals and has, at least since the beginning of recorded human history. You can tell right away when you're around them. They start uttering the words, there should be a law. That's the first telltale sign you're dealing with a self-styled remaker of others. They're also very attracted to blob-like diktats. Universal health mandates, or mask mandates, rather. Universal health care. Universal pre-K. Mandatory vaccines. Mandatory testing. Compulsory government schooling. These blob-like diktats lead to the creation uneconomic and artificially of uneconomic and artificially created jobs. Legions of Martinets are unleashed on everyone. Fill out these forms. Where's your paperwork? Where's your authorization? Do you have a license for that? What about a permit? Is that FDA approved? No more than 25% capacity. Oh my gosh, this is bureaucracy in a nutshell. And the Martinets are never satisfied. How can they be? Everyone is unique. They're trying to create carbon copies. They've set themselves up for never-ending dissatisfaction. And the attempted invasions proceed right down to the core of every individual life. You can't think that. You can't say that. You can't do that. Chris Rossini says this anti-human fantasy imagines some individual experts standing high above a universal blob of humanity with the sole authority of making proclamations. Everyone else in this blob must then follow. The experts imagine everyone acting in unison like a school of fish or members of an ant colony. If the experts say that XYZ is true, then it's true simply because they said it. If they say that XYZ is science, then it is science simply because they said it. The experts say everyone else is to obey. Now, those who choose not to obey are to be ostracized. They must be the defective ones. There must be something wrong with them. They must be re-educated to obey without question. That's the fantasy, at least. Now, considering, considering the aforementioned reality about our individual, physical, mental, and spiritual uniqueness, is it any wonder why the fantasy can never become a reality? Chris Rossini says the fantasy of rule by experts goes way, way back. It's not anything close to being a new idea, but it's always presented as one. The piles of corpses that have been left in the wake of attempts to implement it, implement it rather, have reached the level of uncountable. And yet, no matter how many corpses are piled up, the experts never seem to stop coming, and neither do those who want to be ruled by them. So here's the bottom line. Freedom means the ability to choose. Evidently, there are always those who choose not to leave others alone. Nevertheless, the question remains the same for each of us individually. Which will you be? Voluntary or force? Liberty or tyranny? Liberty is the far superior choice. All right, let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. Caller, thanks for your patience. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad. A radio station I can actually get through. I saw the Loving Liberty um, people that have been 
fighting for our freedoms, and I just want to shout out to them and say thank you. But most of all, I also want to thank all our amazing heroes and veterans here in the United States. Thank you so much for your sacrifices and your families. I'm reading a book again that I read years ago. The foreword was by Representative Ron Paul, you mentioned earlier. It's by Porter Stansberry, my father who passed away, who was a World War II veteran. He died seven years ago last month. Studied a lot of stuff, and he used to get the newsletter. This book, America 2020, The Survival Blueprint, basically explains why um, the biggest factors in the decline of our civilization is the politics of entitlement. It says um, that basically the more you take from the productive members of society, the less productive they become. And then it says in another part where it says basically it talks about what's happening to our country. We're heading into this unless we can save Trump and he can save us. And that is that socialism or coercion of any kind, okay, takes away the innate desire of liberty and the strong need for personal property rights. Wow. We, quash, we quash human human freedom. It bogs down productivity and for continued for long enough leads to social collapse. And that's what these people who want to believe. I come from a socialist country of France. My parents came from socialist countries and everything. And what they don't understand is the people that feel entitled to everything the government they think should give them, the government keeps taking and taking and taking, and you're not giving anything back for the whole. And I teach permaculture here at my permaculture design school. And in permaculture, we have three ethics, care of the earth, care of people, and give back more than you take. Now, if people could just follow their hearts and really look inside themselves, the guy that was taking everything while the other guy was working so hard to provide for the group, okay, he should feel lousy when he looks in the mirror. You're not doing anything. You're not doing your share. But if we raise kids to work hard like farmers do, they are the backbone of America, and they have raised their kids where you get up at 4 in the morning, you do your chores so that all of us will be okay. Then you go off to school. But that is your responsibility. And kids and farmers, the kids that have been grown up in farms, they literally have the work ethic. And they don't take things for granted. And when somebody in the community, in a farming community, is struggling, which they have been year after year because of the drought and other problems and floods and freezing and everything else, guess who all comes together? The entire community comes together to help that one person. It takes that kind of ethics, not I'm entitled to, not take, 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 and not give anything back. It causes apathy. It causes laziness. And like he said, the decline of our society. And Americans need to wake up, and we need to raise children with the ethics like farmers who work hard. Here, here. And for granted. So good to hear from you, and thank you so much for your contribution today. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. 801-331-8113. Feel free to join the conversation. Look, I I know there's a lot of stuff that feels like it's out of our control. But what the caller was just describing, that's something you have influence over. You can choose to instill those values in your kids. You You can choose to make those values your own. And I say this with the full understanding that I, I get tempted by this, too. It's that, that's de- that desire to, you know, control the people around you. It's the hardest thing in the world to resist. 
So what do you do? I think some of the best advice that I've heard, and I've heard it from a number of different uh, angles, a number of different people, some of whom don't, uh, don't necessarily line up ideologically, but they all come to the same conclusion. Make yourself an unplayable piece on the chessboard of others. That doesn't make you antisocial, by the way. That just means you understand the value of the individual and you understand the value of that individual liberty and you're willing to do what it takes, including risk being unpopular, to stand up for it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us here on The Brian Hyde Show. If you have not checked out the show notes, which you can find each day that I do this program at thebrianhydeshow.com, please do so. And, and do me this favor, if, if you can make it to the show notes, you're going to find a lot of great articles to read. You're going to find a lot of uh, good material there to help pass the time and hopefully contribute to a, a more substantive understanding of the world around us. You're also going to find that you could leave a comment, and it comes directly to me. So if you want to leave me some feedback, and I, you know, good, bad, indifferent, I appreciate, I respond to most messages that come back to me. So um, please give me some thoughts, if, if nothing else. I'll tell you honestly what I'm looking for more than, than praise. I mean, the praise is nice. It feels good, but I'm always looking for ways that I can better serve you in, uh, in the, the little role that I play behind this microphone each day. So, you know, go to thebrianhydeshow.com, check out the show notes, drop me a comment, and let me know how I can better serve you. Because I look at this as a stewardship. This is something that, uh, that I take seriously enough that uh, I'm, I'm willing to uh, completely arrange my life in order to make it happen. And it's extremely rewarding, so it's not like a huge sacrifice. All right. I know a lot of people are concerned, myself included, with, okay, so we have this election question hanging over us. Uh, You know, Biden has already declared victory. And one of the things that is very concerning is that uh, Biden made no no bones about the idea that he was running on a, I'm going to lock this down and I'm going to save you from COVID kind of platform. Well, Dan Sanchez, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, has a great article about the uh, the control panel delusion and lockdown despotism. And this goes right back to the Biden-Harris approach. He says, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris recently updated their plan to beat COVID-19. And there's a passage here worth examining for the dangerous mentality it betrays. Quote, social distancing is not a light switch. It is a dial. President-elect Biden will direct the Centers for Disease Control to provide specific evidence-based guidance for how to turn the dial up or down relative to the level of risk and the degree of viral spread in a community, including when to open or close certain businesses, bars, restaurants, and other spaces, when to open or close schools, and what steps they need to take to make classrooms and facilities safe, appropriate restrictions on the size of gatherings, when to issue stay-at-home restrictions. End quote. Now, Dan Sanchez says the passage brings to mind a warning given to America long ago. That warning was delivered in 1835 by Alexis de Tocqueville, the famous French observer and admirer of the young republic. 
In his classic book, Democracy in America, de Tocqueville included a chapter called What Sort of Despotism Democratic Nations Have to Fear, in which he warned the American people of, quote, an immense and tutelary power which takes upon itself alone to secure their gratifications and to watch over their fate. That power is absolute, minute, regular, provident, and mild. It would be like the authority of a parent if, like that authority, its object was to prepare men for manhood, but it seeks on the contrary to keep them in perpetual childhood. End quote. Now, Dan Sanchez asks, does the Biden-Harris plan to beat COVID-19 represent the kind of despotic power that de Tocqueville warned us about? Let's see. He talks about freedoms trampled and says, is the power absolute? Well, not yet, since it refers to the CDC guidance as opposed to federal mandates. But governors and mayors have proven to be quite deferential to the CDC, so its guidance has translated into state and local level mandates before and likely will again. Is the power immense? <laughs> Clearly. It covers the opening and closing, not only of restaurants and bars, but of all businesses. Thus, it claims sway over the country's entire in-person economy and commercial life, regardless of private property and self-ownership. The plan covers not only businesses, but all spaces. That is everything about the coming and going of Americans, again, irrespective of individual rights. The plan also encompasses all gatherings wherever they may occur, thus violating the right of the people peaceably to assemble, as enshrined in the First Amendment. The plan entails stay-at-home restrictions, meaning the power to imprison at will Americans in their own homes, violating the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, according to which neither the federal government nor any state is allowed to deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so Dan Sanchez says, yes, the plan is very immense, both in its scope and impact. And then we come to discretionary power. Is the power minute? Yes, the plan expressly distinguishes itself for promising much more specific guidance. That's what the dial metaphor is all about. Rather than a lockdown light switch to turn society off and on, the plan promises to use the CDC as a social distancing dial to scientifically fine-tune social proximity on a community-by-community -community basis. And he says not only that, but within each community, it reserves the discretion to open or close certain businesses and spaces. Now, we've already seen such discretion in action throughout the period of lockdowns. As certain political protests and celebrations have been allowed and even encouraged by officials, even as they shutter nearby businesses and prohibit private, prohibit private gatherings, including funerals, marriages, parties, concerts, games, festivals, and religious services. De Tocqueville famously observed that the strength of America rested in its vibrant civil society, consisting of a rich proliferation of non-governmental associations and institutions. That, and not merely voting, is what he meant by American democracy. He wrote, quote, The political associations that exist in America, in the United States rather, form only a detail in the midst of the immense picture that the sum of associations presents there. He said Americans of all ages, all conditions, all minds constantly unite. Not only do they have commercial and industrial associations in which they all take part, but they also have a thousand other kinds, religious, moral, grave, futile, very general and very particular, immense and very small. Americans use associations to give fets, 
to found seminaries, to build inns, to raise churches, to distribute books, to send missionaries to the Antipodes. What we seem to, end quote, by the way, what we seem to be seeing, says Dan Sanchez, in the lockdowns is the state using its minute and discretionary power to cripple all physical manifestations of civil society other than its own. I'm sorry, I'm going to read that again just because that line just jumps out at me. What we seem to be seeing in the lockdowns is the state using its minute and discretionary power to cripple all physical manifestations of civil society other than its own. I see it too. Which pretty much makes us wards of the state. Is the power tutelary, as in denoting the relationship between guardian and dependent? Dan Sanchez says incredibly so. Although it only accelerates something that's long been underway, the public has been so spooked by the government and media's alarmist and distorted claims about the disease that they have offered up a childlike deference to officialdom, abjectly following its lead even after its guidance has been pro- has often proven to be vacillating and wrong. As de Tocqueville warned, the state has taken upon itself sole responsibility for our fate, and the public has eagerly acquiesced to this government tutelage abdicating the responsibilities of free adults and letting our guardians keep us in perpetual childhood. Which brings us to the scientific central planners. Sanchez says de Tocqueville wasn't the only European to warn America of all-encompassing, kindly despotism for our own good. Ludwig von Mises warned of central planners who, in the name of giving us everything we want, would take away everything we have, even everything we are. As Mises wrote, quote, planning other people's actions means to prevent them from planning for themselves, means to deprive them of their essentially human quality, means enslaving them. The great crisis of our civilization is the outcome of this enthusiasm for all round planning. There have always been people prepared to restrict their fellow citizens right and power to choose their own conduct. What is new and characterizes our age is that the advocates of uniformity and conformity are raising their claims on behalf of science, end quote. And Dan Sanchez says, in, in, indeed, in its plan to beat COVID-19, the Biden-Harris team boasts that their administration will listen to science and that the CDC is dialing up and lockdowns of, hist- of, of, of lockdowns rather throughout the country will be evidence-based. This deference to science is meant to sound humble, but instead it's being used to justify the extreme arrogance of the social engineer. This is a great article. I hope that uh, you will take the time to read it. It's included in the show notes. Again, this is from Dan Sanchez from the Foundation for Economic Education. One final thought here. He says, to save our freedom, livelihoods, and long-term health from omnipotent government, we must defy the central planners and social engineers, scoff at their scientific switches and dials, and reclaim our responsibilities as a free and courageous people. Amen. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
All right, welcome back to the show. All right, headline of the day once again goes to the Babylon Bee. You ready for this? Girlfriend keeps referring to herself as wife-elect, despite no official word from boyfriend. (laughs) Ah, I love it. I love it. All right, so I'm going to take a little more serious turn in this uh, final segment of this hour. And uh, and I'm doing this because uh, I I know I'm not the only person who has been thinking a lot about. Okay, so there's there's the the whole question. You know, Biden has declared himself president elect. The media has enthusiastically piled on Uh, those of us who still believe in something called reality. uh, Understand that it, it could happen. Maybe it's within the realm of possibilities. But there's also the question of. What has happened in terms of uh, have the electors cast their vote? They have not. Has the vote been certified? No. So it's a little bit premature, and it really has a sense of, well, we're being steered toward this conclusion. That is the narrative that is supposed to dominate, and anyone who questions it, of course, right now is understanding, is, is uh, learning what it's like to be, you know, a heretic. How dare you suggest this? I mean, look— the, the press in some circles are actually using the term coup. Why, by questioning the results of this election or by challenging some of the vote totals, President Trump is effecting a coup. <sighs> I don't know how you deal with that kind of pathological dishonesty. Because it, it would be a coup if he set things in motion to where he had no intention of leaving come inauguration day assuming that uh, you know it it is proven out that uh, the vote totals are in fact you know correct but this assumption this demand that well well we say they are so you better listen to it or or prove prove that it's not so why don't we trust the process and go ahead and take a look i mean what's if the votes are really there you shouldn't be nervous at all it's just going to prove that yep biden did have enough votes and away we go And just for the record, I don't know. I don't know for sure if he has them or not. I know that uh, there there are definitely some irregularities. There was a lot at stake here. And and maybe those things are things that can be sorted out and explained. We'll, We'll find out, won't we? But the potential for fraud and abuse most certainly was there. So let's take that closer look and make sure that people's votes were counted. Make sure that there weren't ineligible votes that were somehow submitted that could throw things off. Now, here's a thought that I'm going to throw at you. A friend sent this to me earlier today, and I I want to disagree, but I think he's right. He talked to me about how he and a friend have recently been talking a lot about current events. And he said, I think this is an important idea to share. He says, I believe Trump will end up winning this election, and it is not a good thing. Now, hear him out. He says, it's unquestionable the Democrats committed unprecedented election fraud. He says, I believe Trump won by a landslide, and it's the right thing to do to just not accept, to not just accept, rather, the fraudulent results. And then he says, I want to make a bold prediction. I think Trump will end up winning again. However, he says, I believe the outcome will likely be far worse than a simple Biden presidency. Because, he says, I think the left will then be so completely convinced Trump stole the election a second time that Trump's victory will radicalize the entire liberal population overnight and ignite civil war. 
He says, I can't prove it, but I believe that Trump winning will end up playing into the deep state slash Gaddy Anton's plans. This is all going according to their plan. They've wanted to destabilize the nation and start a civil war all year. And by the way, I think he's right about this. Hence the riots all summer long. But conservatives didn't take the bait. They remained amazingly peaceful. The leftist radicals, on the other hand, have shown themselves to be completely willing to be to use aggressive violence, no matter whether it's justified. And this is where I think he's correct. If by some chance this election is challenged and it turns out, no, Trump legitimately had the votes to carry the day. Then it's possible, perhaps even probable that we will see serious bloodshed on U.S. soil within the next three to four weeks. Now, my friend concludes by saying, let's hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. (sighs) Look, my my goal here isn't to bring you down or to make you fear. But I think that's that's a pretty solid take as far as it's it's within the realm of possibility. And you consider who were all those windows being boarded up against? When Election Day came last week, come on, think about it. You don't have to try to soft pedal it. It wasn't because people were worried that, well, you know, these Trump supporters, they've been rioting for months now. They're going to go out there and start spray painting and tagging and beating people in their cars and dragging them out of their cars and threatening them because they didn't get their way. That hasn't been the way of Trump supporters from the very beginning. It has been what the most extreme elements on the political left have been doing for months. Largely as uh, civic leaders in primarily progressive Democrat-run cities have ordered their police to stand down and just let the extremists go wild. And so the plywood was was up. You know, the windows were boarded up. Reinforcements called out. There was a lot of nervousness. And I think justifiably so. Based on what we've seen over the last few months, it's very clear that there is an element among American society today, and it is the most highly radicalized left that is absolutely willing to go out there and commit wanton, indiscriminate violence simply because they didn't get their way. And so from that standpoint... If Trump manages to carry the day, I know that for people on the right, they're going to be like, yeah, you know, all right, justice has been done. But the possibility that my friend is suggesting here is that this may be the catalyst that uh, the left, including the most extreme elements and some who are maybe not so extreme yet, have been waiting for to justify full on out of control running rampant in the streets. And you may think, well, you know, if they want to do that, you know, fine, they'll show their true colors. But the problem is, you know, they're not going to limit it just to those cities that they've already been demolishing. They'll take it to the suburbs. They will bring the battle to you. And it pains me to even suggest such a thing, but I'm telling you, that's a possibility you should probably think about. Maybe game it out in your mind. What would I do? How would I organize myself? How would I work with my neighbors to make sure that we had some kind of a protection plan in place for our neighborhood? Even if you feel like I'm safely ensconced in the suburbs. And I'm asking you this in all honesty. I'm not I'm not trying to I'm really not trying to promote fear or hatred 
of Antifa or BLM or, you know, anybody else. If it were announced that Trump had carried the day and that he had actually won the election, would it be reasonable to expect there to be even more widespread rioting, unrest, violence? Yes or no? It's a very simple answer. We, we know the answer. We already know. And so here's what falls to us, and that is resisting the impulse to evil in uncertain times. I'm going to include in today's show notes an article from Anders Koskinen. This is from intellectualtakeout.org. He points out there's a great deal of fear and uncertainty brewing in the streets as Americans await the results of the latest attempt to continue the republic. And when words fail to achieve an aim, he says men on both sides of the political divide are often tempted to violence. Those on the left have demonstrated this in recent months via Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots. This leftist unrest has not stopped with Biden's supposed victory either. Now, he says supporters of Donald Trump and those on the right may be tempted to answer violence with violence, taking to the streets in rage, demanding that any and every accusation of voter fraud be investigated to the hilt. And while the call for secure and fair elections is all well and good, he says Americans of all stripes need to take a step back and ensure that their actions do not feed into the narratives of those seeking to dismiss them. He says, God-fearing Americans should, sheep, should, should seek rather to reshape and redirect American souls to follow God once more. And his point here is that violent means will not accomplish this goal. Such tactics perpetuate just the opposite in the souls of those who carry them out, and they will not persuade anyone in need of such guidance. Now, that doesn't mean that those espousing concerns about the election results finality need to go quietly into the night. But he says, as in all things concerning the pursuit of truth and justice, those engaged in the pursuit should be prepared to make a defense to anyone while remembering that the Lord calls us to do so with gentleness and reverence. Look, in a nutshell, what he's saying is keep your conscience clear, America. And if nothing else, keep in mind that there are higher things at stake in each of our lives than who wins an election. I think it's a really timely message. Check out the whole article in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Again, it's from Anders Koskinen from Intellectual Takeout. This is The Brian Hyde Show.